All right. There we go. Okay, so if you were here on uh, Easter Sunday, this might look familiar to you. Um, and I uh, just want to review what we talked about on Easter Sunday. We said that uh, in life, in life, generally we are coached and told along the way that if we want to uh, have a, a good life, live the American dream, be successful in life, we're going to excuse, yeah, there's kids that are heading out there to uh, youth church, all right, you guys are excused. If you want to have a good life, you want to live the American dream, you want to be successful in life, then what you want to do is you want to make sure that uh, you get a good education, and you want to make sure that you manage your image well, and take care of yourself and your health, and have a good career, have good relationships, have a great family, and uh, earn money, because these are the things that are foundational to a successful life, right? And we said that uh, uh, these things are all good, and we had a ladder here, we kind of said we lean the ladder of our life, we lean our life into these things, and um, and we're coached to do that up until it all works. We put our hope in that all up until they begin to fail, right? And the education that we used to have is not what it, uh, it needs to be today, and and our health fails for some of you, and um, and our career, you know, maybe you've had the pink slip or whatever, and and relationships or even family members have stabbed you in the back, and money doesn't matter how much money you have when you get the call that says you have cancer, right? Um, and so we said um, these things we are coached to invest our life into. But they fail, and so what should we put our hope in? And we came over here, and we said we should put our hope uh, in the work of the cross, right? Put our hope, because our hope is beyond all of these things. The, uh, Jesus, he lived, he died, he raised again, he is alive. He is, and so God transcends all of these things. He is above and beyond all of these things. This is life, but our hope is even beyond life. We put our hope in him. So. Um, uh, we said that on Easter Sunday. And um, so we also said that does not mean if it, my hope, I don't need to go to school because my hope is in the Lord. I, people and relationships, who cares? My hope is in the Lord. I don't even need a job because my hope is in the Lord. No, what does the Bible say? So we, uh, what does the Bible say about all of these things? That is what we're going to talk about today. We're going to go through them. We're going to say, what does the Bible say about education? Okay, don't put your hope in your education, but what does the Bible say about your education? So we're going to, we're going to go right through that list. That's the sermon today. Let's pray. Father, um, help us, draw us toward you. Help us uh, to know the difference between wisdom and foolishness. Help us to know the difference between uh, your kingdom and the kingdom of the enemy. Help us to cling to you and to walk away from everything that is untrue and false. Help us to live for you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's the Bible say about get an education, get an education, get an education? What's the Bible say about that? Here's what it says. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 9 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, the fear, be afraid of, right? Be the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Okay, what's that mean? What does it mean to fear the Lord? You guys know what it means to fear the Lord. Um, and Maybe this has happened to one of you once. Uh, you've been driving down the road and you're not really paying that much attention to what you're doing. You're just kind of flying down the road. And then all of a sudden you see Officer Friendly 
and he's kind of parked over there alongside the road, and he's kind of headed towards you a little bit. And then uh, what do you instinctively, immediately do? Those of you that are guilty, what do you instinctively, immediately do? Uh, uh, you immediately, as soon as you see him, you lift your foot off of the gas pedal, and you check your speed, right? That's a, it's just like, boom, right? That's what it is to fear the officer, right? You fear the officer. And so what is it to fear the Lord? It's really the same thing. What am I doing right now in my life? And I need to look to God and put it in check. Am I inside of God's boundaries? Make sense? Make sense? And so it says, the beginning, it says, uh, the fear of the Lord, the respect, the acknowledging that he is the authority, he is the guideline, he is the standard. And so what's it mean? It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, to say, Ah, God is in control. God is in control. That is the beginning. And then it says this, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. When I have the knowledge of God, then I begin to understand things. Here's what we're talking about. There is a biblical worldview. The Bible teaches us that there is a God and he sets everything up. And then there is a non-biblical worldview that would say there is no God and you do whatever you want, right? And so the beginning of wisdom, the beginning of understanding, to have understanding and wisdom requires that you begin to think in the context, in the framework of there really is a God and he's the real deal and I'm going to answer to him and I need to know him. And so uh, the Apostle Paul, um, he hung out uh, for a while with a guy named Timothy and uh, he was pouring his life into Timothy. And Timothy became uh, a preacher, evangelist, and he went around uh, telling people about God uh, apart from Paul later on in his life. But while he was uh, learning from the Apostle Paul, this is what Paul told Timothy. He said, put your life inside that framework, essentially. Listen to the way he, he says this. He says, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, this God guy, this Jesus guy transcends all things. He's beyond just this life and these things. He is the eternal God. Live your life in that context. So in the presence of God and in Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, remember he died and they put him in the grave, but he came back up out of the grave, proving that he is who he said he is because he appeared in his appearing and his kingdom. Because he raised from the dead, it's his kingdom, it's his kingdom. He says, I give you this charge. So he kind of front loads that really, really heavy. He says, you need to understand something. There is a God and he transcends all things. And in light of that, here's what you need to do, Tim. Here's what you need to do. He says this, preach the word. How, how do you go about preaching the word? Well, be prepared in season and out of season. That means no matter what might come your way, whatever, make sure you have a biblical answer, a godly worldview answer for whatever situation might, you might find yourself in. And so correct and rebuke. That in order for it to be correct, it must, there must be a wrong way if there is a right way. And so you have to know the right way in order to uh, sort of uh, juxtaposition that up against uh, the wrong way. And so make sure that you can correct and rebuke, but encourage, encourage people to do what is right, it's best. And he says, uh, how do you go about doing that? With great patience and careful instruction. Why, why does he kind of say, you need to, you, Timothy, you need to understand something. 
Uh, the wisdom comes from a God that transcends all of these things. And you've got to go out there and you've got to be ready to tell people these things. Why is he so urgent, kind of pushing on it so hard? Because, you know, because of this. Verse 3. Man. I, if this doesn't sound like it was written last week, I don't know what does. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. Lies, the make-believe, the I'm looking right at this red carpet and I'm telling you it's blue. It's blue. No, it's red. Or is it blue? Well, I guess that's just your opinion. They look right at the truth and they'll say it's a myth. But you, you keep your head in all situations Enduring hardship, do the work of an evangelist. There is a biblical way to look at the world, and there is an unbiblical way to look at the world. <clears throat> and so look at these contrasts. If there is, in fact, a God, then God created us. He is the artist who painted all beautiful things. He is uh, the, uh, the creator. He is the one that our bodies are so special and unique and so intricately um, uh, designed. Uh, they're incredible, incredible. And so if there is a God, God is the one that did that. But if there is no God, and some people would say, that's the, that's the, the idea that is out there, right? There either is God or there is no God. And this idea that there is no God and you're foolish to think that there is a God is becoming more and more and more and more prevalent in our culture. And uh, it's everywhere. So the idea is either there is a God and God is the creator or uh, we are a cosmic accident, right? There was a big bang and there were particles that became, and so rock and dust all of a sudden created love, right? And rock and dust, rock and dust created uh, the intelligence that is within us and the ability to think and the, and the ability to create and to design. And, and the myths, the myths that somehow, do you know how complex a single cell is? Do you know that inside of a single cell there are proteins and a single protein is more complicated than your cell phone, and yet, yet it spontaneously, and so they, they trade lies for a myth, right? What about this? If there is a God, God gives the rules. If there is no God, then man gets to make the rules. Which man? Which man? Well, uh, you can have your truth and I can have my truth. Therefore, what Putin is doing in Ukraine is absolutely acceptable. And you have no way to say that it is not. Because Putin is a cosmic accident and I am a cosmic accident. And so mankind is a cosmic accident. There is no right or wrong. There is just uh, simply the advancement of things through natural selection and the advancement through the evolutionary process. And so right and wrong is just sort of uh, everybody can live their own truth, right? 
But if there is a God, then God makes the rules. And in the same way, if there is a God, relationships are defined. God says what relationships are. If there, if there is no God, then all relationships are equal. I don't know if you know this or not, and this is just kind of wacky. It sounds so wacky. It sounds so ridiculous when I say this out loud. But this is just true. It's just true. And, you, and, and so you say, well, yeah, but that's an extreme. It is an extreme. When people, either there is a God or all other things are acceptable, and there are people that are advocating that you should be able to marry your pets. Do you know that? Do you know that there are people that are literally, they're advocating, trying to get laws passed, that you can marry your pets so that you can leave your inheritance to them and things like that. And why not? I mean, if there is no God, if there is no right or wrong, and no God has created us, and that we're a cosmic accident, then anybody can do whatever they want, why not marry your pet, right? It's just, it's crazy. Biblical worldview framework versus non, and the Bible says education starts with there is a God, fall in line. Everything else is a myth and a lie. So what does the Bible then say about our image or our health or our appearance or uh, those things? If that's where it starts and uh, you kind of move up there a little bit, um, what's the Bible say about that? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16 says this. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? and that God's spirit lives in you. Okay, so God lives in me. God lives, if there is a God and he lives in me, he puts a part of his spirit. When I become a Christian, I'm baptized into Christ. He says, I'm putting a deposit in you. I put his spirit in there. And then there then starts the battle. Uh, there is a battle uh, between right and wrong. There is a battle that's going on between I know I need to do what God wants me to do, but my flesh, my desires sometimes are not uh, to do what he wants me to do. And so uh, our image and our health and our bodies, the battle begins me or he, me or he, me or he, me what I want or him what he wants. That is the battle within us. And so listen to Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. It says, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's not about me. I'm not to uh, try to advance my agenda and my cause along the way. I am supposed to do good works in my body to point people back to the creator God that has set up all of the frameworks and parameters of all of life. Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 and 14 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, you want to know what you're supposed to wear, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. What's that mean? My image is to be the character of Christ. And so what am I supposed to promote on social media? The character and the image of Christ. I'm to reflect the character in the image of Christ. And so that is to be my image. Can, uh, can you imagine a world right now, can, especially now? Just, just think if you turned on the news in the morning and they highlighted a story. Today's example of having the character of Christ goes to, and then they show some little short story about how somebody 
does something very loving for someone else, and everybody aspires to live that way for Christ. And, that, and that they would talk about how in school, you know, there was more education that was being done to advance the cause of Christ. And there were more people that were living the way Christ wanted to live. If that was the, what popular culture and the image was being put out, it'd just be a different world. But we have an enemy. And there are people that are trying to follow things that they are making up lies in their own brain. They can't look at one thing and call it what it is. They redefine it and call it something else. It's crazy. It's crazy. So what does me versus he look like at work? What's me versus he look at? So your career, your career. What's the Bible say about your career? Okay. Um, Look to the ant. That's what it says. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Go to the ant. You sluggard, Uh, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, yet it stores its provisions in summer and it gathers its food at harvest. God is to be our commander, our overseer. Um, It works at work. We are to answer to God. And so... When we go to work, um, though we do well to listen to our boss and do what they tell us to do and we get promoted up through the thing, ultimately when we show up at our career, whatever it is, we are to know God is my boss and I do my work for him. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 4 says, lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper and be satisfied. Our work ethic reflects obedience to God. Our work ethic is to reflect, I don't work for you, pal. I work for somebody bigger, better, more powerful, and I want to please him in all I do. And so because I work so hard for him, you're going to be the benefactor of my hard work. Firsthand, you're my boss, I'm working for God, and it's going to help you. And if you work for God, it's going to help you too, and that we communicate, communicate clearly who we work for. Listen, in the book of Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells the, uh, the, the parable of the stewards, and uh, you know what he says, he says one guy gets one talent, the other guy gets a couple talents, the other guy gets five talents, and they went off, and they worked really hard, and then they, it calls them all back in, many of you are familiar with the story, and then uh, there was the guy that just buried his talent, and he said didn't do anything with it, the other guys doubled theirs, and to the guys that doubled theirs, and worked hard, and put in the effort, he says, well done, what? Good and faithful servant, right? But to the one, he says, you are a what? Wicked and lazy servant, right? Wicked and lazy, wicked and lazy. And so when we go to work, what does the Bible say? And we're not to put our hope in our career. We're not to put our future depends on whether or not I get the promotion or da 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 Our hope is in the Lord. And when we go to work, we work for God, who is eternal. And that's where we put our hope. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 12 and 13 says, I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and to do good while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all of his toil, in all of his work that he does. Um, this is the gift of God. So it's a gift when you get to go and work hard 
And then you can buy toys and have fun and do things, right? And take your family on vacation and all that. That's a gift from God. Okay, and so um, we're to have a biblical worldview, and that is supposed to show up in the way that we promote ourselves to others in our image, and it's also supposed to show up in the way that we do work. It's also supposed to show up in our relationships. Uh, relationships are to be always kind and always respectful and not judgmental. Listen to what Peter has to say about all this. There are a bunch of them. Uh, Peter says this in the book of First Peter. He says, love one another deeply from the heart. Live in harmony with one another. Love each other deeply. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. It says, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. It says, greet one another with a holy kiss, and probably uh, it would be uh, best translated today, give each other a big hug. Give each other a a big hug. So listen, these relational standards become very important when it comes to the way we interact with our coworkers and our family members and the relationships that we are in, and we are to love one another, be kind to one another always. And that, that can get a little bit tricky when it comes to the next category of relationship, and that is family. Family, family, moving ourselves right up to the line there, family. How are we supposed to interact and deal with family? Well, we need to define what a family is. Um, we need to define what a family is. Here's what a family is. Book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 20 to 24. Uh, God creates the heavens and the earth, and then he creates mankind. He creates man first. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So here is poor old Adam in the Garden of Eden. He's walking around going, well, that's an animal, that's an animal, that's an animal. I got, well, who am I going to hang out with? God says, ah, no suitable helper. I will make you a suitable helper. He says this. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Um, uh, You've heard this at weddings before. Uh, God made the woman from the rib, not from a a bone out of his head that she would be above him, or not from a bone from his foot that she would be below him, but a bone from the side that she would be beside him, and that there would be companionship in that. It says, for this reason, a man will leave. Now, listen to this. It's very important. For this, reason, a man will, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. God only created two genders. He created men, and he created women. He created male, and he created female. And he only created two roles. He created the role for female as wife, and he created the role of male as husband. And listen to this. Then there's biblical instruction as to how man and the woman are to treat one another. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, right? Everything you do, you submit to the Lord. You submit to the Lord. You submit to the Lord. Ephesians chapter 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And Jesus really didn't love the church that much. <laughs> Nobody's listening. Nobody is paying any attention whatsoever, right? Jesus really didn't love the church that much. No, Jesus did what for the church? He died, died for the church, right? And so how is a husband supposed to love his wife? He says, I will lay down my life for you. And the husband, or the wife is to look at the husband and say, I love God so much because he's created all these things. He's created you and he's given you to me. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to be with you. And the husband looks back at the wife. He says, um, you know what? Jesus laid down his life for me. I'm going to lay down my life for you. And that, now listen, that is the biblical worldview of relationship. That is the biblical view. Think about these things. Every human that has ever lived, now there's a couple of exceptions. Adam, <clears throat> Adam was, his life was breathed into him from God it's in Genesis. And then Jesus, we know that Jesus, there was a Christmas story, the Immaculate Conception. So with the exception of Adam and with the exception of, uh, uh, of Jesus, every human that has ever lived has a mother and a father. Every human being that has ever lived, uh, there was an egg, there was a seed, right? There is a mother and a father in every human being that has ever lived. Everyone has a desire to know and be loved by their mother and their father. Every human being has this desire. I wonder who my dad is. I wonder who my mom is and to be loved by them. Now, not everyone, uh, we know not everyone gets to grow up with their biological mother and their father. We know that. But everyone has this desire to know their mother or their father. And that's because God set up this institution that there is men and there is women. And after they grow up and can manage their lives, then they can come together and to have and start a family. Listen. A father and a mother raising their children is God's definition of family. There are not multiple definitions of family. They don't exist. They are myths. They are unbiblical. God says his design is that there would be a man and a woman and that they would come together and that they would raise their children together. Now, what we know, what we know, what we know, it's obvious, it's all around us, what we know is that every one of us in this room, at some level, we do not live our life the way God wants us to. We all wrestle with sin. There isn't a single person in here that's not a sinner, including me. We know that sin is in the world. We're talking about the structure in which God intended it to happen. And then, wherever we are in life right at this moment, we always want to be trying to get closer to God wherever we are. That's the way he is. Listen to this. Joshua, in the book of Joshua, this takes place. Um, Joshua chapter 24 says, But if serving the Lord following the biblical worldview, doing what God wants you to do seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. 
whether it be uh, the gods of political correctness or the gods of TikTok or the gods of cancel culture or the gods of the woke or the gods of the progressiveness or all of man's gods. He says, uh, whether the gods of your forefathers that you served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And so there's a choice. I'm going to follow the myths and I'm going to follow the lies or I'm going to live with a biblical worldview. Do you know that this is what is at the center of the Uh, the culture war. At the center of the culture war is this simple question. Is there a God or is there no God? If there is a God, we have the instructions to follow. If there is no God, we get to do whatever we want. That is the culture war. When you turn on the news, you're watching the culture war be lived out. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 1 through 3 says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. So there's a biblical worldview for all of these things. We don't put our hope in them. We put our hope in an eternal God, but then we live our life the way God wants us to in these areas, including money. Write this down. Why do we have money? Money to provide for your needs. Write that down in your bulletin, to provide for your needs. 1 Timothy 5, verse 8 says, If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for his immediate family, He has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. What's that mean? Get a job, pay your bills, take care of your kids. That's what that means. That's why you have money. That's why God gave it to us. And then it's also, write this down, to support the work of the gospel. Um, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and he's kind of bragging about how well they did. He says, "Uh, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. He says, Entirely on their own, they did this. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service of the saints. That's, that's pretty impressive. They were like, how can we give more? How can we advance the gospel? How can we do it better? How can we do it better? How can we do it? And they said, well, you know, and so they gave that way. And they did not do as we expected. But they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. They gave their tithes and they gave their offering. Tithes, when you get your paycheck, get your paycheck, you look at it and go, how much is 10% of that? And then you're to give that to the advancement of the gospel. And then 90% of that, you get to just go and live. Go and live. Give 10%. Then you can give beyond that. And uh, that's called an offering. And then why else do we have money? Why does God give us money? To enjoy. Write that down, to enjoy. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth. Don't put your hope in wealth. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything. That, uh, with everything. Why? 
for our what? Enjoyment, for enjoyment, so we can enjoy these things. Listen, <clears throat> put your hope in the Lord. Trust in him. Uh, find ways and opportunities to have conversations with people that you encounter. Uh, do, you, do you believe that there's a God? You know, um, don't you think that there is evidence that we are so complicated and, and that our minds work and we can experience emotions and that, you know, when the, when the scientists say to us that we're this cosmic accident, doesn't that just kind of rub you the wrong way? Don't you think that there's got to be a designer or a creator? Isn't there really a God? And, and didn't he give us the rules? Because if there is no God, isn't that broken? Doesn't that just kind of lead to, to chaos and dysfunction and brokenness? Isn't that just bad? Um, and then tell them that you're a Christian and that you choose Christ and that you will live for him. Uh, Laura and the gang is going to come up and uh, we're going to close. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, uh, if you've never been baptized into him, if you've never given your life over to the God that's created all of us, you've never been baptized, that's a conversation I say week after week I'd like to have with you. If you know Jesus, live for Jesus. Think about the words of this song as we close. When we are done singing, we are dismissed. Mm -hmm.